Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It is great to see you this morning. Um, as I mentioned, I'm Father Morgan Reed. I'm the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. And I am delighted to be worshiping with you again in this fourth um, Sunday of Epiphany. This season of Epiphany, as I've mentioned in the past, helps us focus on the, the growing manifestation, the revealing of the glory of Jesus Christ. And today's passage does that in really unique ways. So as we get into this gospel passage from St. Mark, let me pray for us. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So back when I was in seminary, I had a really strange thing happen. It was one of the strangest experiences I've ever had in a college classroom. And I was and I was in college for like 15 years, so this says a lot. So I was in my class as usual, and there was one day which otherwise seemed normal in this seminary class, and things got out of hand and really weird really quickly. There was one student who was pretty quiet, pretty unknown to most of us, and, and it was still early on in the semester, and even though he was sitting quietly at first, as right before we were about to open our class with a, a prayer, this student sitting there started to talk in a quiet voice, but then he got a little bit louder, and he started talking at a, like a normal conversation level. And then it was sort of a heightened level, and it got really strange. At this point, he, he's, he's still sitting there, but very loudly starts telling us about a sermon that he had heard from his pastor, that we were living near the end of the world. We were in the end of the age, and he got really uh, sort of end-timey with everybody. And, and he said a few other things, and amidst those other things, really loudly, he tells my, my professor, you're a false teacher. And all of you in this class need to repent and believe in the gospel. And then he walks out the door, never to be seen again. And it was really tragic. I mean, what this gentleman was going through, something in his, you know, mid, somebody in his mid-20s, um, it was troubling. Uh, he was a troubled soul. And, and you can imagine the awkward tension in the room at that point, and all of the eyes just kind of look up at the professor. Like, are you going to answer that? What do we do? No one trains you to talk about what to do when somebody sort of has a, a mental breakdown in the middle of a seminary class. And, and after that student had walked out the door, my professor calmly, thoughtfully said, hey, why don't we just stay silent for a moment? Just pause. And I want to have one of you just pray for healing for that gentleman. And we did that. And it was a profound experience that obviously I haven't forgotten a decade later. There is a comfort when somebody is the authority in the room. 
everyone was looking at this person to say, what's the, the right thing to do next after that? What do we do? And, and I would imagine that the tenseness in that classroom was not dissimilar from the tenseness that we feel in the synagogue this morning uh, in this gospel passage. So I want to look at this story from St. Mark's gospel together. Again, this gospel passage in St. Mark, this has come after sort of snapshots of Jesus. He's revealed in the baptism. He goes to the wilderness. He chooses the disciples. And this is really the first miracle we get uh, of Jesus' active adult ministry in the gospel of Mark. And he's beginning the revealing of his glory throughout the region of Galilee, this northern uh, region in, in Israel. We find Jesus teaching in a synagogue in this town called Capernaum. So presumably Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God in synagogues locally. And it's the crowd's reaction that's really important in this passage. They're amazed. They're amazed. It says it multiple times. They're amazed at his teaching because he's teaching them as one who has authority and not like the scribes. And what does that mean? The scribes have no authority in and of themselves to teach. What the scribes do is teach you from Moses' authority. They're there to teach you uh, how to interpret uh, Haggadah and how to walk Halakha based on the authority of Moses, not their own. And so here comes a new teacher who's saying, you know, you've heard it said before, but I say to you. And so this is a new kind of teaching that they're not used to. We read this in, in the Old Testament reading today from the book of Deuteronomy. God is going to raise up a prophet like Moses from among his own people. So people are expecting this eventually to take place. It's tied together with the ministry of whoever this Messiah is going to be. And this passage shows Jesus as this new Moses. Uh, he's, because he's speaking on his own authority. And so this is why it says the crowd is astounded. It's a new teaching. It's a new kind of teacher. And so the question becomes, is he actually allowed to do that? This is the question that the Gospel of Mark is raising. Okay, so we have a teacher who's teaching with a new kind of authority, but is he actually allowed to teach with that kind of authority? And then in comes a man with an unclean spirit, which is the same thing as a demon. They're interchangeable. So this man who's demon-possessed is in the crowd, in the synagogue, and he says, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And I want to make a clear distinction between demon possession and mental health. Not the same thing, right? And where spiritual warfare and, uh, and mental health intersect it has some mystery around it, and that's okay. Uh, so I'm suggesting that these are two different things, but I want to focus on the reaction. I'm suggesting that even though they're different, uh, the way that the synagogue might have felt uh, was something like what I experienced in that classroom. And if they did sort of feel the same as everybody's looking around, kind of looking at who's the authority in the room, what are we supposed to do next? I can imagine kids kind of looking up at their parents going, you know, in, inside wondering, do you know what's going on? Like, is, am I safe? Uh, and I can imagine adults kind of looking at one another going, are, are we safe? Uh, I, and looking at Jesus, kind of wondering, What's the next thing that we're supposed to do in this scenario? Does anybody know this person? There's a lot of unknowns. You know, is this somebody who is known to everybody, but all of a sudden he's speaking out of character? 
Was he a stranger? Was he somebody who showed up anonymously? Does his voice change if they do know him? I don't know, you know, but all of the eyes in the room are looking to Jesus, and they're trying to figure out what is the next thing to do. You are speaking with a different type of authority, but do you have authority over the kingdom of darkness? And he does have authority in his teaching, and now what he wants to show them is not only do I teach with authority, but I even have authority to command unclean spirits to make war with the kingdom of darkness. There's a church father who writes in the 8th century called the Venerable Bede, uh, somebody you should know, he's a wonderful writer, and he says this in his homily about this passage, Since by the envy of the devil death first entered the world, it was right that the medicine of healing should first work against the author of death. And so we have in St. Mark's Gospel, this is the first miracle of Jesus' ministry. It is a clash of kingdoms. It is a clash of the kingdom of heaven with the kingdom of darkness. And so Jesus says to the demon, be quiet, come out of him. And what follows is that this man convulses, and with a loud voice, the demon leaves. It's a foretaste of what's coming in Jesus' ministry. The idea of telling a demon to be quiet is really common in the Gospel of Mark. It shows up again and again. And it's often given a title. It's called the Messianic Secret among commentators. God's glory is being progressively revealed in Jesus Christ through his life and through his ministry. And it is not going to be revealed prematurely in the wrong time and in the wrong way through some unclean spirit. So when you read the whole Gospel of Mark, if you did it in one sitting, you'll notice there are three confessions of who Jesus is as the Son of God and as Messiah that receive no rebuke. Uh, they are sort of unchallenged. The story is meant to say, yes, this is the affirmation. The first one is from God himself at Jesus' baptism. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. The second is Peter's confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then the third is actually by the Roman centurion at Jesus' crucifixion. St. Mark's point is that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And his crucifixion and his resurrection were the culmination of his enthronement, this revealing of his glory as the Son of God and the revealing of God's plan to overturn the kingdom of darkness so that Jesus reigns as king. It was no accident that Jesus was crucified. This was part of the plan of, ultimate, of the ultimate overthrow of the kingdom of darkness. N.T. Wright connects the crucifixion with this episode in our gospel passage today, and he says it this way, the demons have their final shriek at him as he hung on the cross challenging and mocking for the last time the validity of his authority. On the cross, he completed the healing work that he began that day in the synagogue. So whether you are a Jewish fisherman from the north of Galilee, or whether you're a Roman centurion, this is your Messiah. This is your God. This is your King. And the Gospel of Mark and Encourages us to listen to him. It's his authority and nobody else's 
that we turn to for living out the next right thing in God's kingdom. And it's that work of extending the fame of Jesus that you and I enter into through his authority to speak kingdom realities into our lives and to work the miraculous transformation that our hearts and our lives need. And that's done when we look to Jesus' authority and to nothing less. And so one of the important truths of this passage that I was meditating on this week is how important it is for us to show the glory of Jesus' fame by allowing Jesus' teaching and his transformative power to have its effect on our lives. First, individually. Second, corporately. And I think, first, we actually see this in our collect uh, as individuals. And then as I was meditating on this, I was struck by how this is also true communally from our New Testament passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So in our collect that we prayed today, we prayed, Oh God, you know that we are set in the midst of many grave dangers. And because of the frailty of our nature, we cannot always stand upright. Grant that your strength and protection may support us in all dangers and carry us through every temptation. And so I'm sure that there are days where you and I have experienced that prayer. And our heart is set in the midst of many grave dangers, not feeling like we can stand up that day. I was listening to a podcast this week, and one of the stories was of a woman who had shared a traumatic experience that she had as a 10-year-old being bullied by friends. But what was really traumatic, actually, was that her teacher joined in the crowd of bullies, and it left her with this perpetual feeling of, I have to do things perfectly if I want to avoid shame. I have to do things perfectly if I want to avoid any feeling of shame. And it was the continuation of a pattern that had been reinforced by one of her parents as well. And so there's these links in her life that are stringing these feelings together. And it eventually would cause her to blame herself for any shame that she would experience uh, and criticism that people would give her. Even however constructive it was, it would turn into this spiral of shame, of imperfection, and that nobody's going to accept her and that she has to work extra hard. And unfortunately, then she married an abusive man who perpetuated that for her. And in their marriage, it it took a lot of work. Uh, And ultimately, the marriage didn't work out. But she did a lot of hard work on what Jesus would have said to that 10-year-old girl. And that is what I appreciated hearing in the podcast, was what Jesus would have spoken to that 10-year-old girl to transform her life. And that upended all of these narratives that she continued to live with in these different parts of her life as she grew up into an adult. In other words, Jesus spoke authoritatively uh, in his speech to her, and then that was accompanied by this healing work that she experienced as he became her Lord and King. And so one of the encouragements from this passage is, you know, do the inner work that's necessary to discover Jesus speaking authoritatively into the story of your life. Do the inner work that's necessary 
to discover where Jesus is speaking authoritatively into the story of your life. So looking back into our stories, pinpoint some really important things for us. The exact ways that we've longed for God's grace in our story. The ways that we've sought to fulfill those desires in things that are less than Christ, that are less than adequate. And so we can begin to bless God for revealing those places and then ask for him to speak kingdom realities into those places in our lives. So that helps our story not to reign over us as Lord, but it points to the deep longings that we have for our Lord and for his wholeness and healing. And so pay attention to your body. What kinds of things make you anxious? Where do you find fear welling up inside of you? What causes you to react really strongly? What causes a quick and an angry response for you? As you think about those places, I encourage you to think about those questions throughout the week. When do you feel your body tense up? Those are usually places that your body is speaking prophetically to you about the need for God's transformation, the need for the kingdom of God. And those aren't bad things, right? So it's not like you don't add fear and shame on top of you know, bodily responses. But they're indicators, prophetic indicators of places to explore. And even better if you can do that with a really good counselor. But do the inner work that's necessary to discover Jesus, speaking authoritatively into the story of your life. The second aspect of integrating Jesus' authority to teach and his authority to transform us is in the ways that you and I learn to submit to one another in love in 1 Corinthians 8. And there's a more uh, a communal aspect to this in 1 Corinthians 8. There was a group of Christians in Paul's letter who realized that their freedom in Christ allowed them to partake of something good that God had created. They could eat meat, which had possibly been sacrificed to idols. But because of another group of Christian stories in the church, Partaking of that kind of meat was unthinkable. Now, was that immature thinking? Sure. But that's not what's important. What's important is not necessarily who was right and who was wrong in the community of faith. What's important is that there was a responsibility on each party to help the other brother and sister grow in Christ together. So St. Paul says that if eating meat caused a brother to stumble, then he would actually never eat meat again. Integrating Jesus' authority and his teaching and in transformation means that we would choose to limit our own personal liberty at times, to hold space for another person, to grow in Christ according to God's timetable and not according to ours. One of the things that has been occupying my mental space over the last few weeks, I'd say days, but it's really been weeks, has been opportunities that you and I have to invite people into the kingdom of God through this community. And I'm not sure if you saw this on Facebook, but, you know, when the vicar plans a youth event, it gets a little crazy. And so 
we were at Sky Zone on Friday, and I did this wild belly flop into the foam pit. It was exciting. We had a lot of fun. And when we were there the other night, one of the students said, you know, if other kids knew how fun our youth group was, they would definitely want to come. I was like, that's great. Fun is important. Fun is where we, where we play, is where we build trust with one another. Uh, I try and do this with the adults, too. We play together because play builds trust. And uh, I want to give you all spaces to know one another. And it's important. And, but it, it's, it's the, the kids that are there that make that group what it is. Uh, the ways that they care for one another and are growing together. And it's all of you who make this church what it is. When I think of you, I was thinking about each one of you this week and praying for you and thinking about how you are all uh, mature, you're friendly, you're kind. I don't have to worry that if a visitor comes, they won't be talked to by you. Uh, You will do that, and I'm grateful for that. You're authentic. You're just generally wonderful people. And, and I would be friends with you, uh, you know, and I am friends with you. And if I weren't pastoring this church, I would come to this church because I like you. Um, and so that's great. And so mo- most importantly, uh, beyond just enjoying your company, you all are growing in Christ together. And that's what's important. Uh, together in community, you're having those deep spaces of fellowship where you are growing in Christ together. And I want my neighbors to know you. I want them to enter into this too. Do you want your friends and your neighbors to enter into this as well? And I've been thinking about outreach opportunities a lot that we could offer to our community on a regular basis so that we can invite people who aren't yet part of the church to the kingdom of God so that they can get to know you. The church itself is the place where they're going to see the kingdom. And so I would love for people, as we continue, and and I am working on outreach opportunities, I would love for people to find this community a place to belong even before they believe. To belong even before they believe. And as we care more for that integration of Jesus' teaching authority and his authority to transform our hearts and lives, we are going to care far less about sticking to our timetables and less about making sure that we're right, because we are on mission together in the kingdom of God. And we will be doing uh, this life and growing in Christ together. So as we think about the passage today, we think about the revealing of the glory of God, I want to remember the amazement on the crowds that rested on them. Jesus had taught with his own authority, one that was greater than Moses. He silenced demons. So that his glory is revealed in his time to those who are longing for his kingship to reign over the darkness. And it will. And there is hope for us who feel like in this colic that we cannot stand. We feel like we are just longing for him to reign over the dark places. And we are longing to see his grace. His kingship allows us to be guided by his plan. And his timetable as we invite others into that life in the kingdom of God and community. And it shapes the ways that some of us parent, the ways that we maintain friendships, the ways that we're praying for one another and for our neighbors. shapes the ways that we pray daily for the kingdom of heaven to come on earth as it is in heaven. 
It shapes the way that we even pray that prayer and expectantly wait for the kingdom to appear. Demons had mocked our Lord on the cross as they challenged the validity of his authority one final time. But it was on the cross that Jesus completed that work of restoration and of recreation that he started in today's passage in the synagogue. And so it's that gospel work of restoration and recreation that you and I enter into as citizens of the kingdom of God. And then we extend it to others so that we are also pushing back on the kingdom of darkness together as we spread the fame of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Oh, merciful Father, you have taught us in your holy word that you do not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. Look with pity on the sorrows of your servants. Remember us, O Lord, in your mercy. Nourish our souls with patience. Comfort us with a sense of your goodness. Lift up your countenance upon us and give us peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.